I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Hey there, folks, and welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number two. Today, we're going to be talking shed hunting, shed hunting stories, shed hunting tips, and the funny story of how I actually fell through a frozen river while out looking for antlers. Sound like a plan? Let's do it. Alrighty, joining me this balmy afternoon, as always, is my co-host Dan Johnson. How you doing, man? You know, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, it's only Wednesday, but I feel like my week has been dragging on. Uh, my daughter, my daughter does not like to sleep. She didn't like to sleep last night. She's typically a good sleeper, so uh, Daddy didn't get much sleep last night. Uh, <laughs> that is no fun. I, I'm lucky at this point. I don't need to deal with the uh, uh, reduced sleep due to children, but I do have dog issues sometimes, if that counts for anything. My dogs occasionally wake up in the middle of the night barking at random boogeymen and stuff, so yeah, not too bad, though. How much sleep did you end up getting? Um, you know... Four hours, I think, which is, Oof. you know, I'm not complaining because four is better than zero. True, true, but it's definitely less than six to eight. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And, you know, you mentioned dogs. I kind of wish my daughter was trained like my dog. You know, she would be going to the bathroom outside in the front yard, but <laughs> <laughs> but at least it wouldn't be, you know, on the floor or in uh you know, having to change a diaper every once in a while, then all you got to do is give her a treat when she comes back into the house. And... <laughs> That's not a bad idea. You know, I think there's some people around where I live that do train their kids to do that based on what I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> what part of Michigan do you live well, in? Well, I don't, I don't want to say now. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but that's funny. How about, uh, how about the work day? I know that maybe the, the, or the listeners don't know, but you rush home from work every day just to film this show for us. Uh, how'd that go? You know, um, I got a little Honda Civic. It's uh, two doors, and it has great handling and pretty decent acceleration. So uh, I did some swerving <laughs> in and out of traffic to get here, but uh, uh, I'm here safe. And as soon as I'm done recording this, then I go and pick up my daughter from daycare. So 
my life is uh my life's pretty busy right now i guess so i uh i don't know if this will make you angry or not but i woke up this morning rolled out of bed and went to my office and i've been in my pajamas pretty much the whole day still um so rough day rough day here too i guess (laughs) (laughs) you know the the life of the the self-employed person right or you know you're technically a writer so you're you're you live a I guess what you'd say an alternate lifestyle anyway, right? Something like that. Yeah. But I always joke, it sounds all great, but I never know if I'm going to have that mortgage payment or not. So there's pros yeah. and cons, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, we're both here and uh, we're talking today about shed hunting. Um, we had a fun shed hunting trip not too long ago, Dan. I definitely want to talk about that. But overall today, I wanted to share some stories um, talk to the listeners about some different shed hunting tips and tricks that can hopefully help them find more antlers, um, and then kind of cover everything in between. Um, that said, though, for those that maybe don't know what shed hunting is or aren't as familiar, Dan, do you want to give us maybe a quick intro to what shed hunting is all about and, and why it's worthwhile? Well, I'll I'll uh, I'll put it into simple terms. Okay, every year, deer. Uh, their bucks, their antlers fall off their heads, and then they begin to grow new ones. Now, uh, crazy people like us, we go into the timber or to where these deer are living, and we walk back and forth and back and forth and back and forth until we find these sheds. And, um, you know, if you're passionate about shed hunting like I know me and Mark are, it's always cool to find a shed from a deer that you may have passed or that you you've seen from the tree stand, or you have some kind of history with, and uh, it's just a story that you that you basically get a take home with you at the end of the day, and say, hey, look what I found, you know, or hey, I passed this deer, or hey, I've never seen this buck before, you know, or you know, you flip through trail camera pictures and, and stuff like that. But in its simplest terms, and like my football coach in high school used to say, you got to keep your head on a swivel. So you just walk back and forth and you keep your head on a swivel and you try to hit all the places that you think uh, the deer are at. And if you're lucky, you'll run into a shed or two. Yeah, yeah, that's the truth. That's, at its core, that's shed hunting. Um, it's funny. You know, shed hunting seems, you know, like a, a given for us. But, you know, like I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of people that don't know what it is. And a couple funny stories on that um, on that topic. One... Uh, a buddy and I were out shed hunting earlier this year in Ohio and ran across a guy that was out cutting some wood and we introduced ourselves and we're chatting with him and he asked us what we were doing. And we said we were, you know, shed hunting, looking for deer antlers and whatnot. And it's like, Oh wow, that's, that's cool. And no people did that. He's like, so how many, you know, how many do you find out there? And we mentioned that we found five today and he was just like, Holy smokes, there's five dead deer out there. And what do you do? Do you saw the antlers off or how do you get them off? And, <laughs> The guy had no idea that deer lose their antlers every year. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize that. It's kind of incredible to think about, you know, especially these big deer that they grow these new antlers every single year. It's uh, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah. But another quick one that is a favorite. This was two years ago, I think. That same friend of mine and I were in Iowa shed hunting. And we were staying at another friend's house who wasn't so big into shed hunting. And uh, me and my buddy Corey, we decided to head out. We're looking for antlers all day while our other friend, he stayed at home. He was going to go fishing or something. Well, about halfway through the day, we get a text message from this guy. And he says, hey, I decided to go out shed hunting. We'll see how it goes. So we, were, we thought that was pretty cool. And about half hour, maybe an hour later, 
he sends his text message back and he's like, I found six and me and Corey hadn't found a single one all day. So we couldn't believe it. We were uh, just, this is how it usually goes, right? We shed hunt all day, couldn't find anything. And the guy that doesn't care about sheds goes out and finds six in like a half hour. So we tell him to send us a picture. And a few minutes later, he sends us a picture and it's a picture of a kind of a grassy overgrown field and, you know, little branches here and there. And there's a red building in the background and some random conifer trees and whatnot. And so me and Corey are sitting here looking at this picture, looking for the antler. And we spent a couple <laughs> minutes, maybe five minutes looking for this antler. We're zooming in, trying to find, you know, where this possible antler could be hidden in this picture. We thought he was sending us, you know, this shot that he wanted us to kind of look all over to find the antler. Finally, we text him back, like, we can't see the shed. He sends back, it's the big red one in the back. <laughs> he, sent, <laughs> he, see, he sent us a picture of a work shed, and that was his sixth work shed he'd found that day, uh, or storage shed, I guess I might say. So was he actually playing, like, being a smarty pants, or was he just that ignorant? No, he, he knew what he was talking about. Oh, he, was okay. just, he was just being a, a smarty pants, giving us a hard time. Well, I'll so. tell you, uh, where I work, uh, I mentioned, you know, people don't have any idea that people hunt deer. And this is Iowa, you know. And uh, so I, I said, well, I'm going to go out shed hunting this weekend. Uh, so where, where do you do that at? And I said, well, um, out in some of my hunting properties. And people, <laughs> they're just like, well, don't you think you're going to have better luck at like Home Depot or Menards? <laughs> Okay, well, I'm not going to waste my time talking to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's how it is. But I guess now everyone listening at this point knows what shed hunting is. Um, and like you said, Dan, there's a lot of good reasons to do it. Like you said, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, it's great to have that physical, you know, uh, I don't know, physical item that you have a memory attached to that you can look back on. And, and as you mentioned, sometimes that's related to a deer you've seen before or know before. Um, and then from a hunting perspective, you know, that's helpful too, because you're going to know whether that deer made it through the year or not. Um, in some, in some cases, finding an antler can help you identify maybe where that deer is bedding, maybe where he's feeding during the late season. Um, so there is some valuable information there. Um, but I think, you know, let's dive into some details about about that a little bit later, but I thought first maybe we could kick off this larger discussion on sheds by talking a little bit about our trip that we had uh, earlier in March. I headed down to your neck of the woods, Dan, and which I appreciate the invite and got to do some shed hunting with you. So what do you think? Do you want to share a few highlights of our uh, Southern Iowa adventure? Well, um, please don't take this the wrong way, but <laughs> before we go any further. I just want to say you are never invited to Iowa again to shed hunt Ugh. because not only are you uh, a safety hazard, <laughs> <laughs> you also find, you also find the biggest shed on the whole trip. And, uh, you know, I found a good one too, but yours was bigger. <laughs> and because we're, you know, we're macho men, you know, it's always a competition. Oh yeah. But no, it was a blast, man. I had fun. I'm glad you came. Got, I'm glad you got to uh, walk some of the properties that I hunt. And honestly, I'm glad you found uh, the bone that you found because, uh, you know, I'd like to start a tradition. You should come back next year. Yeah, it was it was a blast. I appreciate you leaving that shit out there for me to find and leading <laughs> me right to it. It did make me feel better about myself. So your plan worked. 
Thank you. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't know. Did I forget to erase the date that I found it before I placed it back out there? Yeah, I saw that permanent marker on the bottom. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, that was uh, that was an awesome antler. Um, you know, the, the antler Dan's talking about, I we've been walking a, a ridge system, and I came down this point um, that kind of came out of this larger um, kind of pine stand. And down at the bottom of this point, I just saw this great big tine arcing up uh, with a with an oak tree behind it, and from 50 yards away, or maybe maybe even further, I could instantly just knew it was a giant shed. I even, I literally think I started shaking. I was so excited. So, what that what did it end up scoring again? I think it was 64 inches and four eighths. So almost yeah. almost 65 inches. Definitely my best shed I've ever found um, by a long shot. So, gosh, it was cool. It had the split brow tine. It had those two kickers off the G2. Yep. And just all sorts of mass. It was just a cool antler. I, I still sit in my man cave room on occasion, just kind of spinning that antler around in my hands, looking at it, holding it. It's it's pretty cool. Yeah, and uh, the best thing about it is at the end of the day, when we've walked all those miles and our legs are exhausted, and that you know that bone you find just makes it all worthwhile. I mean, even days where you don't find anything, it's still all worthwhile. But uh, that just makes it a little bit sweeter. Oh, it's so true. Having that one little bit of success can make all those miles, make all those miles worth it. But it can be tough. Jeez, after you walk for hours and hours and hours without finding any antler, that's uh, it can be really tough to stay focused and stay excited. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And, as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from heart and soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised grass-fed and finished cattle heart and soils unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean convenient taste-free capsule find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today 
or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. Um, well, I think our, our first day, you know, aside from the two accidents, I'm going to call them accidental sheds that I found. <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, – I just love going out there, getting to be outside. And for me, it's it's almost like a stress relief because uh, I, I am inside. I'm almost like a caged animal at times, I feel like, uh, at where I work in my cubicle that I sit in all day long. So – any chance to get outside and just walk and be be outside is uh, is awesome. Yeah, I agree. Um, speaking of those two accidental sheds you found there at uh, the end of our first day, I want to kind of touch on that topic because what you had there was a trail camera set up with some corn that you'd put out there after the season was done, and you set that up so you could get trail camera pictures of whatever bucks might have made it through the season, and you wanted to identify what those deer might be. Now, you ended up finding two shed antlers there right near that camera site. And I want to bring this up because there's a kind of a lesson to be learned here that I think is valuable. And that's how you can use trail cameras to help you shed hunt. Um, I like to use them in a couple ways. Number one, that reason that we just talked about. Excuse me. I've got the hiccups over here. <laughs> it gives you the, the information you need to know if a buck made it through the season. And then number two, trail cameras can help you determine when those deer are losing their antlers. And that's going to help you out a lot because I think that timing your shed hunts is pretty important. You don't want to be shed hunting too soon because if you're walking a property multiple times before any of the bucks have lost their antlers, there's a possibility that you could push those bucks off to another property where they might lose their antlers uh, in that other place. So you definitely don't want to do that. At the same time, you don't want to shed hunt too late because squirrels are going to chew on them or, you know, other guys might come in and, and grab your sheds. So it's really trying to find that sweet spot. Also, you know, the whole issue of snow is another big deal too. So I use trail cameras here in Michigan to help me understand, you know, when are the majority of bucks, um, when have the majority of bucks lost their antlers? And then I know whether or not I should go in there and start looking. So I think it was cool that you had that camera out there. And then because you had the corn there, you know, that led to the fact that, you found a couple antlers. So it's pretty yep, It's something I do every year. Uh, and typically it's, you know, the corn piles there just to keep deer in the area because I hunt on a property that doesn't have a lot of, um, ag fields surrounding it. So as soon as the crops are out every year, um, and the, the first snow comes down, the deer go to other places. And so, um, after this, after the season's over, I drop the corn, throw the trail camera out. And like you said, it helps me get an inventory of the bucks that made it through the year. Um, and then I also can play it by ear on when to get out and actually do some, do some walking. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's the way to do it. And I think that kind of, um, this transition us well into a, a basic, um, piece of advice when it comes to shed hunting. And that's about the main places you're going to find sheds. And like you did, while it was a kind of man-made food source, you found two sheds right there at a food source. And those are one of the best possible places to find shed antlers in the spring because deer obviously spend the majority of their time at this time of year doing two things, either feeding or bedding. And so those are the, those are the two spots overall that you really want to focus your time on looking for antlers. So in this case, it was corn, uh, a corn pile in that case, but 
in many other areas, it's going to be cut corn fields or cut bean fields or maybe a food plot. Um, you know, some cases there'll be different brush within the timber that's um, that's holding deer and getting them to feed. But overall, if you know where the top food sources are in your area, especially during the late season, those are going to be great places to look for sheds. Um, anything else that you would add, Dan, in regards to, you know, looking for antlers around food sources and stuff like that? No, I mean, it's typically, it's typically you know, exactly what you said. Just find their bedding area, find where you think the food source is and walk back and forth between those two points. And you're going to, you know, if, if there are deer in your area, you're going to see their tracks, especially if there's snow on the ground or typically this time of year, it's, um, the ground's wet. So you're going to see fresh tracks or a well-used path and you just keep going back and forth and back and forth. And you got to put in miles, you know, some of these guys, uh, who own, you know, thousands of acres of property or own a lot of property with no pressure, have these huge food plots. They can go out and they can just walk their food sources or, you know, a little bit around their bedding area and find a ton of sheds. But guys like me, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners, don't have that luxury. So uh, we got to put in the miles for the piles. That's the truth. It's a lot of walking. Um, and if, to follow up on one of the things you just mentioned, you talked about the fact that um, you, you can look in the, in the mud for tracks or well-worn trails to find out where those deer are traveling. Another tip that I like that I actually think I got from Bill Winky, um, the founder of MidwestWhitetail.com, he once said that what he'll look for, and this you know, just makes a lot of sense, but you know, after the snow melts, it can sometimes still be hard to see where the most deer activity has been. So he'll look for droppings because mm-hmm. once that snow melts, there'll be just tons of droppings wherever those deer are bedding. So whenever I get into an area that looks like a good bedding area and I find tons of droppings, I'm really going to spend some extra time doing some searching there. Um, I think the key is to, to, to cue in on the poo, cue the poo. <laughs> <laughs> is that going to be copywritten? Copy wrote whatever. It, it might be. It just came to me, but that might be a good a, one. I see that on a T-shirt. <laughs> you make that shirt, and uh, I'll wear it. <laughs> Deal. Um, so speaking of bedding areas, then, which you know, as you mentioned, are great spots to look for sheds. Um, you know, for me, what that looks like in Michigan is typically cedars or swamps, or really thick grass, that type of thing usually is holding deer um, in the later season here for us. I also look for grassy areas right next to food sources. So lots of times we'll have like a cut cornfield, and then along it is a border of, you know, tall native grasses. And lots of times those deer will feed in the field and then just step just off the edge of the field into that tall grass and bed down partway through the night as they're kind of feeding, bedding, feeding, bedding. So those are the kind of areas I look for here in the flatlands of Michigan, but I know around you down in Iowa and some of the other spots I hunt, like in Southern Ohio, there's a lot more topography and hills and ridges and everything. Um, so when I was there with you, like I mentioned, I found that really big shed on a ridge. And I think that almost all of the sheds we found were all along ridges or points or something along those lines. And do you typically find that the deer around you are bedding on those ridges, Dan, or points? Yeah. Um, and for a couple reasons. Okay. So obviously this winter was very harsh and any chance an animal can get to warm up 
they're going to do that on a south facing slope and on the south facing slope because it has the most direct sunlight throughout the entire winter that snow is going to melt first uh, they're not going to have to walk through it so it's easier for them to travel uh, they're going to stay warm and they're going to expose themselves maybe a little bit outside of their bedding area to get some of that sunlight to help them warm up yeah. so so those south facing ridges and hills and um, anything that's getting a lot of sunlight is going to be up. and like what you saw when when we were shed hunting on the last trip that we went on uh, that's where a majority of the of the sheds were at yeah no that's a, a huge point i'm glad you brought that up the south facing slopes are so important um and and just like you mentioned that's where the snow disappears first so you're going to find deer there and you're you're going to find sheds and in our case um, when we were shed hunting because there was so much snow still present those were really the only spots that we could even see if there was an antler because of that snow so they yep. came in they came in super handy um another um as we're on that same topic another one of the sheds that we found on one of those sort of on one of those ridges was that really nice antler that you found dan at the fence crossing yep. and we kind of talked about this as you found it the fact that so often we hear about people saying, you know, look for sheds at fence crossings or creek crossings. Um, and I don't think I had ever found one there. And I think if I remember correctly, you said you hadn't either. Is that right? That's right. right. I've never found, you know, I've had buddies where a, a buck will jump the fence and they'll find the match set laying right next to it. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, obviously guys like us, we're not that, we're not that lucky. No. But, uh, yeah, that, that's exactly what it looked like. He was, you know, coming out of that draw, he jumped the fence and, uh, popped it off. Yeah. And it makes perfect sense. And I think, you know, it's definitely a good place to look, even though, you know, we haven't personally found many that way. I'm sure there are a lot of sheds that end up on the ground because of that, that knock when a deer jumps over something. So again, that's a, a good tip, you know, focus in on those spots where deer are forced to jump over a Creek or a fence or a down tree or something like that. Um, always look for those areas where an antler might be might be jarred loose. Um, and then, you know, there's always the occasional sheds that drop for no apparent reason. Like when I was down in southern Ohio in the middle of a bean field, I found a perfect match set. It was a little tiny dinky six-point, but it was my first match set I ever found. And, you know, he'd just been feeding there, sitting there in the middle of the field eating. And then I, I can just imagine this little yearling six-pointer sitting there and all of a sudden just feeling this weight drop off of his head and him looking around like, what the heck just happened? It's <laughs> kind of what I imagine. But. And uh, I've seen, and I don't know if this is an old wives' tale, or, um, but I have literally come up to a buck while shed hunting that had a little blood coming off of his head, and he was standing in the middle of the cornfield, and he looked like he was dazed. Really? And I guess... What, from what others have told me, I don't know if this is true or not, but if they once they lose their antlers uh, that pops off their head, whether it's one or two, they become disoriented for a while. And really? and I, I'm not joking. I walked up probably 10 feet from this buck just to, you know, I thought he was going to run away, but I, I kept getting closer and cl- getting closer. And he just looked at me like he was like he was dazed. And wasn't a very big buck, probably a two-year-old, and he had blood dripping off his head from where, you know, out of out of his pedicle. And I assumed he just lost his antler, and that kind of confirmed for me that when it happens, they become a little bit, you know, this is off subject, but a little bit 
disoriented. So that's kind of weird. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. It's funny you mentioned that because I think it was last weekend. Um, yeah, I think last weekend I was shed hunting in northern Iowa, and we came across a situation kind of similar to that. I didn't actually see it, but one of the people with me, um, Kendall, saw a small buck that had shed its antlers that was just sitting next to a tree. And like you said, it just looked disoriented. We thought it was sick. Um, but she walked pretty close to it and it didn't jump up. It didn't, you know, do anything like a normal deer would. And I wonder, um, we didn't think of this at the time, but I wonder if maybe that's what happened. Maybe it just shed its antlers relatively recently and, uh, was still kind of recovering from that. Yeah. And interestingly, just across the valley, maybe a hundred yards away from where we found that deer, we found four sheds, which any one of them could have been from this deer because it was a you know probably a year and a half deer. So yeah, that that makes me wonder. Now a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating you know some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. Speaking, speaking of that spot where we found those four sheds, um, it brings up another point that I wanted to mention, and that's talking about just how this past winter affected how deer shed their antlers this super tough winter a long winter heavy snow bitterly cold i think this did a couple different things that has impacted shed hunting this year number one because of how tough the winter was i think for the most part deer lost their antlers a little bit sooner um but number two what i think impacted shed hunting the most was that because of all the snow deer were much more herded up than some years i know in past years when i've gone down to iowa there's been some really mild winters 
and there was just no reason for deer to all be in one general area. They were spread all over the place. There was food everywhere. It was uh, pretty lackadaisical. But this year, with a really tough winter, we I believed that deer would be more concentrated in certain areas, and we found that when it came to shed hunting. On two different days, we searched all day and hardly found any antlers. And at the end of each day, we came on. In both cases, it was a ridge with bedding right next to a cut cornfield. And we came on these two spots and found the first day on one ridge, seven sheds within like an hour, hour and a half. And the second day, I think we found four or five within like 30 minutes. Um, So I'm pretty sure that's because of the fact that these deer were really concentrated in these core areas that had good bedding, really close to good food. And they didn't do anything except for go back from that bedding to feeding, exerting as little energy as possible. Um, So that was an interesting kind of thing that we found this year. And I think if you're still shed hunting this year, that's something to consider that these antlers are probably going to be a little more concentrated than the past. And especially the fact that in some areas, the snow is just starting to melt and, you know, people are just getting out shed hunting. I think we're going to find that more and more over the next couple of weeks. Yep. And that's, uh, I agree a hundred percent. I mean, they're going to take with this winter, they're going to take the path of least resistance and you're, you're probably even going to find them bedding closer to food sources. Um, and that deer that we saw while driving back to my parents' place after that shed hunt yeah. was a perfect example of how harsh this winter was. I mean, you could see, you could almost see through this deer. He was so skinny. Yeah. It's, it's sad to see that this was, uh, this was definitely a tough winter on a lot of deer. That's for sure. And typically, you know, they're able to get to the ag fields and, you know, use their nose to find some food, even dig into the the grass or into the field. But, you know, this year with so much snow, I don't even know how some of these deer herds survived. I, I tell you what, I wouldn't want to be a deer. <laughs> no, I agree. That's for sure. It was, I think, brutal. It's just the word that keeps coming up to me. It was just absolutely brutal. But by that said, what do you think, Dan? Any other any other pretty good shed hunting tips you think we should share today? No. Uh, and it's just like, it's kind of just like hunting. Um, you have yourself and another point, you know, point A and point B that you got to come across it. And, you know, although you can, you know, stack the odds in your favor, you know, walk in bedding areas and food sources and all that stuff, that doesn't mean you're going to find any sheds. So cover as much ground as you possibly can. For me, this year was limited. I only got to go out a couple times. And uh, aside from what I typically do, um, and that's just pound the ground as, you know, as long as I can. Unfortunately, this year I didn't have to. Um, cover as much area as you can and and that's going to increase your odds for uh, uh, for sheds. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's the truth right there. I think two other things I'd add. Um, number one, in addition to pounding the ground and putting a lot of miles on it, what I always try to remember is that even if you cover a lot of miles, if you're not focused on trying to see antlers, if you're looking up at the sky or if you're watching deer run away or if you're chit-chatting the whole time and not actually constantly scanning the ground ahead of you and to the sides of you. If you're not focused on that task, you're going to miss antlers. You just, you have to be hundred percent focused. And with that, you need to stay optimistic. Like we talked about earlier, you you can walk for hours or days and never find anything. And it's tough when that happens, not to just kind of get disenchanted and, and to lose that focus. So 
Yep. I'm constantly trying to remind myself to stay optimistic, to stay focused because, you know, just like hunting, it can all change in a second. So you got to stay on, stay on task. Um, and then the other thing that I just thought of now is in addition to looking ahead of you and right, you know, right beneath you, try to get different angles. So sometimes that means kneeling down or maybe standing up on top of a down tree or up on a hillside or a berm or something, try to get a different perspective because lots of times, you know, antlers can be hidden behind so many different things behind a clump of grass, behind a tree trunk, whatever it might be. It's tough to find them. Um, so get a different perspective. Another thing I'll do too, is every couple minutes, I'll always stop and just turn around. I'll try to stop and just do a slow spin and just look in all different directions because again, it's that new perspective and occasionally taking a little extra time to look around sometimes can pay off. Um, it didn't really help me this year, but it helped, uh, it helped people in my group. At one point we were crossing a fence and we had just stepped over this fence and we're the three of us, me, Ross and Kendall, were just standing there chit chatting. And all of a sudden Kendall goes, Oh, there's a shed. And there was a shed literally no more than like two feet from my foot. It was right there, right underneath me that whole time, but I just never saw it. So I guess sometimes it pays to take some extra time and look around because we definitely miss more than we see, I think. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, and to be honest with you, I think one of my, one of the five, I think it was like my fourth biggest shed I've ever found. Uh, I stepped over to this down tree and uh, I was walking and it was, the wind was blowing in my face. So, you know, don't ever pee into the wind. I turned around to go to the, you know, to take a leak and there's, there's a shed right on the opposite side of this log where it looked like the, uh, the deer was bedded and there, there it was. And I'm just like, Oh, that's, that's cool. Good thing. I, good thing. Nature called. (laughs) That's awesome. Just like my story last week talking about how I got my deer this December. (laughs) Yep, exactly. Exactly. That might be the trick to it. I'm finding out. <laughs> Drink lots of water before you go out into the woods. There you go. There you go. That's hor- that is horrible advice. <laughs> <laughs> that as well as coffee. That'll make you exactly. have to use the bathroom in a different way. <laughs> exactly. Oh, geez. I guess kind of on a, now that we're on the kind of goofy note, maybe we should divulge the full details of my river accident. What do you think? I say go for it, man. Um, I thought I lost you there for a second, Mark. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I have to blame, I blame you for this. I want you to know, Dan, that I would, I'm the kind of guy that's, uh, I'm, I'm risk, uh, risk averse, I think would be the proper word. I usually okay. would not cross a frozen river, but you know, here I am shed hunting with my buddy in Iowa. I don't want to look like a wuss and you're trudging right across this frozen river. So of course I had to do it. But what's, what's funny is, you know, as you remember, I grabbed my camera. I'm like, all right, I'm going to film you, Dan. Maybe, you know, I thought it might be funny. You might fall in a little bit. I'll get it on film. Well, of course, you didn't fall in. And then as soon as you crossed, I decided I'd go. And being what I what I thought was smart, I said, okay, I see down here there's a narrower, a narrow um, <laughs> part of the river. I'll cross there. It looks easier. And literally, I think I told you this already, but literally just before I stepped foot on that ice, I thought to myself, you know what, Mark? You know that where a river narrows, it cuts deeper. <laughs> so it's probably deeper water. But I don't know why, but for whatever, whatever, for whatever reason, I took that common sense and pushed it away and said I'm going for it anyways. And uh, 
what the rest is history. I think I was I was walking <laughs> walking across the river and what you what did you hear? Just a big crash or I heard I heard crack splash <laughs> and I turned back and I didn't see you because you know that there was that uh uprooted tree yep. that was blocking you. And my first thought was man down, first responder <laughs> mode. So like here I am running up running along the bank of the uh, the river and I see that you're belly crawling out of the high school <laughs> and I'm like the first thing I think of is all the training that I had in Boy Scouts and I'm just like hey man if I need to save Mark's life I'm gonna have to get naked and use my body heat to warm him up and you know I gotta do what I gotta do uh, luckily oh. it didn't get that bad yeah thank thank goodness it didn't get come to that because this whole this story would be a lot more awkward <laughs> exactly Oh geez, yeah, it was something else. Like you said, I, I took a step right behind that that little log that was sticking out of the river, and I just plummeted. It cracked right through. I dropped all the way down to my armpits, and actually, my right side went in all the way to my neck, and it was just my left arm that was sticking out. My left arm and my head was all that was sticking out of the water. Everything else went down, and I, I kind of freaked out. I thought I was going under. <laughs> But luckily, I was able to pull myself up, and then, like you said, I, I kind of belly crawled across the ice. You know, I, I learned—I don't know where I learned it, but probably saw it in the news. You know, spread your weight out on the ice so yep. that you don't crack through again, and it worked. So, that was my—that uh, was my excellent ice adventure, I guess. We're both—we're both alive, so we can look back at this and laugh. But yeah. the lesson learned is, don't what? Don't cross. At the narrow part of the river, right? Yeah. <laughs> if you're going to fall in the river going after sheds, at least fall in up to your knees and not up to your neck. Yep, absolutely. If, if if you guys, if the listeners get nothing else from this episode, I hope that's what they take home with them today. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that the lesson is no shed is worth your life, but I don't think I can honestly say that. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's some pretty cool sheds out there. That, exactly. exactly. You know, if I, if I was, you know, if we were on the other side of that river, that I just crossed and then I saw like a 90 inch side on the other, on the other uh, bank that I'd just been on. I'd probably run across it again to get it. I'd risk it. <laughs> Every, I know, I know a lot of people who would, I'm one of them. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh and it's a, it's an addiction, but it's a lot of fun. Um, and I think, you know, we're coming up on time here, so that should probably wrap it up for us. But you know, shed hunting is a ton of fun as we discussed and there's some real benefits to finding antlers in addition to just having fun like we talked about mm-hmm. um and given the snow and the fact that in a lot of areas it's just starting to melt now you know there's still a good couple of weeks of shed hunting so i hope that all you guys all you listeners are able to get out there the next weekend or two and find some more antlers and hopefully these tips will help you um you know as always wanted to thank you all so much for taking the time to join us we we really really truly appreciate it and I hope that you've been enjoying the podcast so far. This is only our second episode, but I think we've got some great stuff in store for all the episodes to come. So thanks for joining us. And if you are enjoying, we'd really appreciate it if you could head over to iTunes and leave a quick review. It means the world. It helps the show out. And um, you know, we would really appreciate that. Speaking of giving out uh, thank yous, I want to take a quick second to also thank our partners who, mo- who make this show possible. Um, so big thanks to Sitka Gear, Bushnell Optics, Trophy Ridge, Bear Archery, Redneck Blinds, Lacrosse Boots, Big and J Long Range Attractants, and the Whitetail Institute of North America. 
that's quite a mouthful there but thank you thank you thank you to these guys um all that said then you know be sure to visit wiredhunt.com slash episode two to get the show notes we'll have different links to things we talked about and some more shed hunting tips and if you haven't done so yet be sure to sign up for our whitetail fix newsletter we'll make sure to get you guys updates with anything new or you know worth paying attention to comes out from wiredhunt.com so thank you again and until next week have an awesome week and stay wired to hunt I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.